Hello, everybody. I'm Peter Giuliano, SCA's Chief Research Officer, and you're listening to an episode of the RICO Podcast, a series of the SCA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from RICO Symposium, the SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. Check out the show notes for links to our YouTube channel, where you can find videos of these talks. This episode of the RICO Podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy Cold Brew Systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brewed concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. Rico Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Portland in April 2020. Don't miss the forthcoming early bird ticket release. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements. Today, we're very happy to present the third episode of Macroeconomic Dysfunction in the Coffee Trade, a session recorded at RICO Symposium this past April. This session convened experts to understand the functions and challenges of the coffee system responsible for the volatile shifts in the coffee market. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes in this series, we strongly recommend going back to listen before you continue with this episode. There's a lot of discussion about coffee markets these days, and a desire to discuss both the micro and macroeconomic implications. However, antitrust laws impose significant liability for impermissible agreements on prices, boycotts, or allocations of markets. Today's speaker, Jeff Glassy, is an attorney for trade and professional membership associations, which have to regularly deal with these antitrust laws. In today's episode, he'll address legal concepts to help guide actions and conversations that are important for the industry with the goal of avoiding illegal conduct and ensuring pro-competitive action. So, 11 weeks ago today, January 23rd, I was walking down the steps in my house, and I got down to the last step, and I thought, well, I'm down there, right? And I got distracted, and I wasn't down there. Snap! I thought it was a bone. I fell on the floor. I thought, this can't be good. (laughs) I tore my quadriceps tendon, which turns out to be a really important part of your leg. Takes a long time to heal. I was in a lock straight brace for six weeks. I just got to drive a couple days ago. So it's coming along. And there's a lesson there for everybody. I've been telling everybody this. Don't get distracted on the steps. No checking Instagram or Facebook or email or something on the steps. I just saw the guy the other day standing on one of the steps looking at his phone. I thought, please, be careful. But then I was thinking about this uh, issue that you all are having, and and I thought, well, you know, maybe there's some sort of lessons that way too, about the economics and, and the situation that we find ourselves in. And if you, if you watch my walk, it's like not exactly, you know, harmonious. It's a little bit out of sync, you know? It's kind of not that effective, it's not that efficient. And so economies can get to be that way too, and 
from what Rick says and what I understand. I'm not an expert in coffee. You know, there have been, there are issues that you have to, to deal with. Um, but there's also uh, limits in the law and in the ways that we can talk about things such as prices and co competition. Um, and so you can kind of get out of sync with that too, you know, to maybe make a music analogy. You know, you're not, you can be out of harmony with the conversation you're supposed to be having or not supposed to be having. You can get out of sync with the, uh, the antitrust laws. And I try to think of things as simply as I can. So let me give you a few concepts. In many ways, the antitrust laws are our friends. It's the friends of our free market system. So the government, the federal government of the United States got involved uh, in uh, adopting these antitrust laws back in the 1880s, 1890s. There are a number of conglomerates, you know, the, the, the coal, the steel, the, the sugar, the salt conglomerates, uh, monopolist groups of companies that got together and did things that were really out of, were, were kind of skewed the, the, the free market system. And they were called trusts. And Teddy Roosevelt came in in the early 1900s. Remember, he was called the trust buster. And he did not believe in capitalism, but he did believe that trusts could, could do harm to society. And so the government got involved. The Sherman Antitrust Act came into play, was adopted in 1890. And there's the later years, the Federal Trade Commission Act, the Robinson-Patman Act, the Clayton Act. And all this stuff gets very complicated because it's sort of law being, um, you know, analyzing the law in light of uh, economic factors. So it gets, it can get very complex. Um, and um, monopolies or trusts can really skew the, uh, the economic, the financial system. But so can impermissible agreements on price. So can agreements to uh, boycott or refuse to do business with competitors. So can agreements to allocate markets. You know, and what they're really all, what we're really trying to do with the antitrust laws is protect our free market system. And, and there's, there's a lot of discussion, Rick has been talking about that, you're all talking about prices and everything a lot, but you know how it goes. You know, the quantity and the price, if the quantity, if there's a lot of quantity, price goes down, et cetera. So in, in many ways, the, the antitrust laws are really just meant to protect the free market system. And, you know, associations in particular can get in trouble because they're groups of competitors and they can talk about things that kind of get outside of permissible, permissible conversations that might tend to go to other uh, areas. But clearly, um, businesses can talk about things. I mean, in, legally, it goes way back to 1925. It was called the Maple Flooring Case. The Supreme Court said, yes, businesses can exchange information. There's kind of a self-policing aspect to this. Businesses are not going to give all their secrets away to the, co the competitors. Um, you know, they're not going to say things that they don't want others to hear, particularly their competitors. But sometimes, the, you know, the push to... Um, to talk about things can lead into areas that affect, adversely affect the, the free market system. 
but associations in particular, can do a lot of talking and doing about things that are exchanging information, education, training. Here's how you do this. Here's how you develop that. Um, standard setting, certification, um, uh, guidelines, lobbying together. So groups of competitors, groups of people who kind of are competing can still do a lot of good things together. That's all fine. But let's talk about a couple of ways that three ways in particular, other than being a monopolist. If you're a monopolist, then you've got issues and you don't need an agreement to, you know, there doesn't have to be an agreement to have a impermissible monopoly, to have impermissible monopolistic behavior. So let's talk about a couple things. Price fixing, uh, concerted refusals to deal or boycotts, and allocation of markets. So when it, when it gets to price fixing, there needs to be an agreement um, of two or more persons or companies on prices or costs or salaries or any other price-related aspects. And it doesn't have to be just for a maximum price or, or a minimum price. It can be either. If there's any kind of agreement on prices, that's what they call per se illegal under the antitrust laws, per se P-E-R-S-E means you don't have to, the government doesn't have to show, the plaintiffs don't have to show that there was any particular damage uh, that was caused. They just have to say that, to show that there was an agreement on prices. Um, it's also the case that encouraging high prices, you know, th there have been cases with um, associations and and, and leaders of associations and others, you know, we need a higher price for this, we need a higher price for that, in a way that has been viewed as anti-competitive and encouraging, you know, impermissible agreements on price. The, the second uh, area, uh, concerted refusals to deal, also referred to as boycotts, when two or more companies, two or more individuals, but companies probably, um, get together and say, Let's not do business with that guy. We can drive him out of business, that competitor or even that supplier. Um, those are also per se violations of the antitrust laws. So if you have an agreement not to do business for any competitive person's reasons, then that can be a violation of the antitrust laws. I mean, you can always decide yourself, your own company, and that's the way the, the system is, is um, really set up, you can always make whatever decisions you want. You don't have to do business with everybody in the world. You don't have to do business with that guy or that company. But if you have an agreement, again, it kind of skews the system. It, it puts, puts the, the song, using that music analogy again, puts that, that song kind of out of tune. It doesn't quite go right. The third area um, of per se, potential per se violations of the antitrust laws are allocation of markets. And you can't just get together with a group of competitors and say, okay, you take that state, I'll take this side of the river, you take that side of the river, and decide how you're gonna allocate it. That is, is again, skewing the market. Um, so, um, the allocation of markets can be per se violations of the antitrust laws. We're mainly concerned, I think, with the price conversation, but I wanted to just sort of give you the fundamental principles of uh, some of these antitrust violations. And you can see, again, 
that they are meant to be protective and enhance the free market system by encouraging you know, people to do what they need to do, but, but um, not really allowing behavior where individuals and companies are coming together to skew the marketplace. But we've talked a lot about agreements. So what's an agreement? And this is, this is why the lawyers can get a little bit uh, uh, you know, excited and sensitive about this, is because do you think that there would ever be a written agreement that would say, in consideration of mutual promises and blah, 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 we hereby agree, all of us companies listed below, to set prices signed. No, there's never going to be that agreement. So how do you know if there's an agreement? Well, it can, could be an oral agreement, could be evidence of an oral agreement, implied agreement. How about a, a nod and a wink, right? That can be an agreement. Um, so you don't even have to, I mean, there's never going to be actual, you know, there may be today and with emails, so, you know, that's one thing that can happen, but there's usually not going to be absolute evidence of an agreement on setting prices um, or uh, boycott behavior, but there can be evidence of implied agreements. Also, you can be found uh, liable and there can be liability for an antitrust violation based on what's called parallel conduct. So a group of folks get together, you know, and it could be a phone call, it could be a meeting, it could be they were seen together, what have you no evidence of an agreement, but they all go out and they do the same thing. There was a case, famous case involving uh, real estate agents who met together at Congressional Country Club, not too far where I live in, far from where I live in Washington, D.C., and they're all like, we gotta get that rate up from six to seven percent on residential sales, okay? There wasn't an evidence of actual agreement, but they all went out and did, you know, people started raising their rates separately, uh, and people did go to jail for that one. So, um, the lawyers clearly are going to be concerned, and rightfully so, about um, antitrust issues in talking about prices. Because there is this, you know, this sort of slippery slope. If everyone is allowed to talk about prices, well, where's the line, and when are they going to not, you know, how do you prove that they're, they didn't talk about setting a price? And plaintiffs' attorneys will try to find that, inf that, that inference that there's been some sort of an agreement. That's why associations like SCA uh, generally do have, it's very common, it's the best practice, it's advisable to have antitrust compliance policies. And what do they say? They say, we agree with the antitrust laws, no violating the antitrust laws, no price fixing, no allocation of markets, no boycotts. But they also very often say no discussion about prices or cost or salaries because it's a slippery slope again and you can, you know, you can get down to, to where you shouldn't be very quickly. So it's sort of a prophylactic step by, by associations to um, not be liable for antitrust problems because the litigation, antitrust litigation, believe me, is brutal. Um, you've got the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, the state attorney generals who can bring action. You've got private claims that can be brought by competitors or others who were harmed. Damages are tripled 
They call treble damages in an antitrust case. So the stakes are very, very high when it comes to uh, antitrust issues. Um, and I think it's important to just sort of understand the aspects of the antitrust laws that are meant to protect us and the parts that are problematic. And then you can kind of go from there because it is the case that you need to be able to talk about problems. Associations are the perfect places to do that. They're set up to have conversations about problems facing the industry. Um, and they can be dealt with with education and, and, and training and standards and lobbying and lots of other things like that um, where you, you're working together, you know, where it's in many, many ways, you know, most of the things you do are not going to be antitrust problems. Um, certainly, one thing to mention is that there's an exception to the antitrust uh, laws for lobbying because the courts have said free speech trumps the antitrust laws. But that's got to be lobbying, you know, you're, you're going to the legislature, you're trying to propose a bill, that sort of thing. That's permissible. Um, but there are, you know, things that you can do to have permissible conversation. And I'm just going to list a couple of them because I don't know the whole industry and I don't know all about everything that people want to talk about. But you can certainly talk about markets. Rick sent me a, a couple of articles, very detailed discussion about prices in different countries and all the factors that are involved. And he was up here talking about markets and, and just overall markets to get information so that you can do your business better. You can have discussions about how to understand and analyze prices um, and pricing. For example, we have a client, uh, it's an actuarial society. Now, what do actuaries do? They set premiums for insurance companies. Well, how do you do that? I don't know, but they have to learn how to do that. So one of our, our, one of our clients had a course called rate making, which if you, you know, told a lawyer about that, they might say, oh my God, that's a price fixing. Well, no, that's learning how to set premiums. There's a lot that goes into it. You need to be educated. Um, you can, of course, you know, act independently in your, in your, for your business and try to learn how to set prices, how to, just like you set costs and salaries. How do you determine salaries? You'd have to look into this. You need people who know how to, you know, run the budget and figure that out. You can have educational courses um, about things like pricing and, and so you can learn about how things affect one another. Uh, there's also, uh, the last bullet is about surveys. And this is a little bit in the weeds, but it shows you that there can be um, um, the, the, how seriously the enforcement uh, authorities take this. Uh, the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission have a set, series of safety zones started out for healthcare about how you can conduct price-related surveys. Surveys that are not related to price, you know, that's fine. But surveys related to price they have to be, you know, if you, if you meet these conditions, then, you, then it's, it's okay, it's presumed okay. The survey is managed by a third party, for example, an association. The information is, is old enough, three months old, is not that old. You know, it's past data. And then number three, there are at least five providers reporting data. No individual's data is more than 25%. And the information is aggregated to prevent knowing who exactly, the, where the information came from. So, I mean, what I'm really trying to say is 
you can make independent business decisions for yourself, and that's really the golden rule of competition in light of the antitrust laws. Be aware of the problems that, that can come from impermissible conversations. Um, read the association's uh, antitrust compliance policy. Talk with counsel. You know, you, you don't want to end up in a serious problem because people do go to jail for violation of the antitrust laws. But what I'm saying is associations are a really good forum for taking proactive steps that are legal, but just watch where those lines are and, and uh, you can solve the problems um, in, your, in your industry, or at least you can try to, just as like I'm trying to solve this thing with my leg and trying to get back in tune and get back into a harmonious situation. So thanks very much. That's what I have to say. Thank you. That was Jeff Glassy at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check out our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk, a full episode transcript, and a link to speaker bios on the RICO website. RICO Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Portland in April 2020. Don't miss the forthcoming early bird ticket release. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements. This has been an episode of the RICO Podcast, brought to you by members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. 